0: I missed one. Where did it go? Ta-da. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like to think that somebody is like literally listening, waiting for that first thing that you say. And it's, oh, I missed one. What happened?
0: Yeah, I, I do think it's fun. Like every time, like this time I'm not going to do something silly. I'm just going to go right into the
1: intro. <laughs> yeah, sure. Wait, right. where are my pills? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. we, uh, by the way, we're live so
2: nice <laughs> nice <laughs> throw uh, us straight in there
0: yes well that was just silly now i just want to do silly voices welcome to montreal souls uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this week is we're being show. hosted by uh uh either count dracula or uh count chocula i'm not sure
0: <laughs> uh, is this show where we talk to makers creators and friends
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just please support switching. us on our patreon page <laughs> maybe that was a little too french even <laughs> hey
0: this rosy voice belongs to me chris uh and uh the doctor to my rose is paul good day sir <laughs> hello uh and Elan z <laughs> we don't have any sponsors uh But I wanted to give a shout-out to Episcura.com. I write for their blog, and I was lucky enough to meet today's guest, interviewing him for the site. Um, And if you don't know, Episcura.com is a texture site for those of you creating digital art, whether 3D or 2D animations or print. And they also have this, like, snapshot section that's intended to provide inspiration or references for the 3D models that people are creating. But since their accounts are, like totally free i actually use those snapshots for some blog posts so check them out <laughs> um but yes our guest as you've heard him uh, chuckling and also doing voices our guest is an artist with an incredible amount of interest including compositing vfx film photography and all things 3d he's no,
2: quoting my blog now.
0: yep <laughs> He has his own design and animation studio in Antwerp. He shares free resources and tutorials for artists at themantisa.net and is the visual arts education coordinator at the International Academy of Film and Television, where he teaches 3D in a program that he developed. Thanks for joining us, Midge (laughs) Seneve.
2: Well, thanks for having me. And I mean, thanks for doing this at a really weird time to make it work with my crazy European time. Central European time, correct? Uh, I believe so, yes. Although it's funny because I never really use that. For us, it's always GMT plus one in most cases.
1: Oh, really? Is that how everybody kind of talks about time zones is just like GMT? I guess because you're so close to GMT, it's not really that many pluses or minuses.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a kid anyway, that's always what we were taught that Greenwich Mean Time was uh, like the main one that in Europe anyway, that everything's spinned off of sure spun off of sorry um but ct i think that's an american thing but i'm not sure actually maybe this is more modern i don't know (laughs) i'm not an expert on time zones i'm sorry it's all right
0: it's all right great i have the wrong notes here yeah, I uh I was like I think it was just like timeanddate.com. Like every every day before the show I like panic and go like, "Wait, how many hours ahead is he?" And so I have to duck duck go search it and then it pops up and it says <laughs> CET and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense. They okay, they have a time zone cuz I've always yeah, seems like my friends across the pond always talk GMT as well. So mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And trust me, I double checked it a couple of times as well. I think, (laughs) uh, our daylight savings time changed in the meantime and stuff. Uh, I was just like, no, I just want to make sure it's okay. It's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like enough hours ahead. Like it's, is it 7 PM there?
2: Um, yeah, right now it's 7 PM.
0: Yeah. It's enough hours ahead that like every now and then I have to think like, wait, like We're talking to Midge on Wednesday, but is it going to be Thursday for him? Like, I want to make sure we call him on the right day even.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It gets a little weird after a while. If you overthink it, then it gets crazy. Yes,
0: exactly. Right. So, uh, so share with uh, Paul and our listeners how you got bit by the 3D bug. I I believe it was like a school
2: project, wasn't it? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was this thing, uh, I lived. I haven't lived in Belgium all my life, so I used to live in Ireland. Um, for, I lived there for a couple of years, where I finished my high school, and uh, there's this thing called the ESAT Young Scientist Competition, and basically it's, um, well, anyway, ESAT was the name of the sponsor, I believe, but um, there's this scientist competition that was for people in high school all over Ireland, and then everybody could submit a project, and then a bunch of projects get selected. And I mean, it's still pretty huge um, because it's people from all over the country, obviously. And then you could, you know, go on a trip with your classmates and uh, head down there and present your project to judges, et cetera. You know, makes sense, I guess. Um, but the thing is, uh, I was actually a class a year above the people that sent in a project, I believe. Um, but they were looking for somebody to do something Graphical, and I was like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm do kind of doing this 3D stuff lately, and maybe we can do something with that." And uh, yeah, I ended up joining them and making an animation with um, petri dishes with all kind of fungus in them. So uh, that was my first 3D animation, <laughs> modeling uh, petri dishes and then trying to like create fungi inside of them that looked like the real deal that they were presenting. So it was an interesting project to say the least.
0: And that was on, uh, way old school, right? Like, uh,
2: Strata, yeah, Strata, I believe I used for that. Yeah. I think I got like a, a version of it on a CD-ROM from, I don't even remember what magazine it was <laughs> and, uh, just got started with it. And yeah, like I don't remember much of it to be honest, cause it's so long ago, but I'm pretty sure it was a fairly horrible application. <laughs> <laughs> you As you most just remember three really uh, D applications tend to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just remember uh, having to cart like what 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 kind of Apple did you have to like, carry into there?
2: Um, I believe I had an iMac with me. It was second or third generation or something. So yeah, <laughs> loaded up the old the good old iMac that was uh, on my desk at home, and then just basically drove it all the way down there. And took everything with us and set it up. It was kind of nutty, but it was a fun experience.
1: Was so- it one of those big um, CRT IMAX? That, oh, yeah. That generation? Oh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. There you go. Uh, I think it was a sage green one, if I'm correct.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> with, with the handle built in, right? Like,
2: Yeah, and then every time you, uh, because it was all plastic, every time you grabbed it by the handle, it made that very typical crackling sound that plastic does you freaked out because you were like is it going to break this time Eh, it's supposed (laughs) to be made for it so i guess it's okay
1: (laughs) right right is this the last time i'm going to pick this thing up
2: (laughs) yeah and especially as a teenager like my my dad gave me that computer so i was like i don't want to break this because i'm screwed then i I won't have a computer you know i won't i don't won't be able to do whatever i want to do sure yeah yeah you're like extra careful but at the same time, you're okay with just throwing it in the back of a car and driving half, half the country. So <laughs> it's an interesting. It's interesting juxtaposition. Yeah,
0: I find it interesting, like, uh, my, um, my aged MacBook is, uh, I, I just find it interesting that, like, Apple uses these, like, you know, metal shells to make their laptops, and, like, other laptop makers are like, nope, we're just doing plastic. you know my wife my wife's laptop next to me is like some old toshiba satellite and it's like cracked and pieces are falling off of it and i'm just like it's so interesting but then at the same time like um i am sort of falling away from the cult of apple personally but at the same time like this computer is now six years old and hers is probably like three, like, and it's already been replaced. It's just an old one sitting here. So, yeah. (laughs) So I guess you, you don't need to build laptops with your Toshiba to last because it's going to be out of uh, Vogue soon. But, uh, but no, you just made me think of that because uh, I have accidentally uh, my MacBook took a tumble off the couch one day. Um, <laughs> oh, yay. It's a seven, fun moment. <laughs> yes. It's a 17 inch uh, one. So it's ever so slightly <laughs> twisted now. <laughs> <laughs> so when I lift the um, screen up, there's like a creaking noise because it's not lined up quite correctly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And uh, not only did it do that damage, it still works fine. But also, since we have hardwood or fake hardwood in our uh, living room, there's a nice big dent in the floor now.
2: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but now, every time, because it is the 17-inch and it's kind of hefty, like, if I, like, pick it up and I have the screen open because I'm going to move from one seat to the other, um, the screen will start to go backwards as it is a little older and it'll hit that sweet spot where it makes that
2: noise. So that's what <laughs> made me
0: think of it. i like, oh no, why did I do that? Don't carry it like this.
2: <laughs> oh man, when I was in college, I used to see people pick up their laptops by the top of the screen, like the little plastic bit. Yeah. Like the little yep. bezel and they just picked it up like that and I, every time I just cringed, I was like, how do you expect this thing to last for three years when you treat it like that? Yeah, uh, oh well. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, you said that was quite a long time ago. How, how long have you been doing 3D then?
2: Um, the thing is, like, I was interested in it from a very young age, and it sort of went on and off. Um, so Strata in the beginning, I did that, and then I did a lot of Photoshop and, like, web design in the, I guess, the earlier days of web design when it was still, you know, easy. If you could call it that nowadays, I mean, <laughs> if you look at the amount of stuff that you have to get into before you can make a beautiful, responsive website with everything, you know, verified and set up, um, it wasn't like that. So I switched between that and web design a little bit. And then I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe a little bit older. It's a long time ago. Somebody gave me a copy of Maya. Um, on a CD, like a personal learning edition, I met some guy at a road show or something and he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a CD so you can put it on your Maya Mac. I was like, okay, cool. So a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden I get, you know, uh, a CD sent in the mail with, I think it was Maya four, maybe I can't remember. So super excited. I stick in the CD, takes forever to install, install the whole thing. I it up, I open up Maya and I just went, Oh my God this, I can't do this. This is too much. Like it just looked too complicated. There was toolbars everywhere and buttons everywhere. And I just, and for then uh, for a very long time from then on, I was just like, no, 3d is too complicated. I'm not smart enough to do it. And I kind of went back to doing a lot of Photoshop. Um, and then I guess on and off, I mean, a few little things here and there some cinema 4d throughout college And then towards the end of college, I finally just made the decision. It was one of the um, specializations. And uh, I actually initially chose something else. And on the day that we had to start our classes, uh, me and a friend, we basically talked to each other and we were like, you know what, I think I want to switch to 3D. And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do the same thing. So we ended up switching. And uh, from then on, it's been, I guess, a career. So last six years, seven years, I guess I've been doing it professionally, if you could call it that, um, but yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, who, whoever really feels like a professional, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like that. I can't remember. I saw like something like, I think it was, uh, some, uh, Oh, because, uh, I believe Matt Hoffman, like the BMXer recently died and, uh,
2: Oh really? I didn't know.
0: Yeah. And I think i getting the right BMXer. That'd be terrible if I said the wrong one. (laughs) Um, But I was like reading stuff about his career. And uh, one of the things was like this interview from many, many years ago. And he was like, yeah, it was about this time me and -and so-and-so decided to go pro. And I was like laughing because I was like, there's no way that I can do the things that they do on a bicycle. And I tried when I was younger, for Mm -hmm. sure. And I had some success, uh, and I was a BMX racer, but never that much success. But there's no way I could do what they do. But I just always thought like that's one of those sort of like sports that's still still today. I guess you could call new. And so they were like, yeah, we decided to go pro, and it was like it was like what did what does that mean exactly? <laughs> you just checked a box <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> like I'm not going to race anymore unless you give me money. Like they had yeah. business
1: cards printed, and it said professional bmxer <laughs>
2: <laughs> and from then on it was sorted
0: <laughs> i like it that's that's our new goal like that to, to make the montreal sauce uh, podcast business cards and we'll say professional podcasters we'll be the only ones that's right <laughs>
2: yeah there you go uh, done
0: <laughs> so so uh yeah what what kind of projects uh do you mainly do as far as
2: uh, 3d that pays your bills? Um, It really varies. Uh, I guess when I started um, as a professional, uh, (laughs) um, I started as a visual effects and environment artist in a small studio here in Antwerp. Um, And then that was for about two years or so. And then I went into a different company uh, doing a lot of motion graphics. And then after that, when I was doing stuff on my own, um, it's a lot of arc fizz and now, yeah, I'm, I seem to be gravitating more toward back towards motion graphics again. It really switches a lot with me. I think I just kind of get bored of certain things and then need to kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, cause 3d is great, but it's so vast, and doing like the same thing years on end in 3d doesn't really make sense to me. You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, I'm the same way, um, the uh, the video editing stuff that I was doing when I was uh, working at the uh, communications uh, marketing communications place with Paul like uh, they they would give me you know I would do so many like interviews because people wanted to talk about their product and put it on their website because uh, this was a number of years ago when that was really getting bigger uh, who wants to read um, <laughs> so I'm making all these videos so if there's like any customer coming in and they were saying like, well, we'd like to do a TV spot, but we're not sure that like, you know, we can afford it. I was like, always trying to put my pitches like really low, even if I was like underselling my hours because I was like just the chance to do do something different. Yeah. 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 I'm tired of talking heads. Can we do something fun? Yeah, for sure. I completely understand that. So what's a, like, uh, I guess, What's like a typical project workflow? Do you, is it similar to film and video? Do you like storyboard and script first or?
2: Um, yeah, usually a client will, will, uh, will start with a script that they created and then I'll have a look at it. And I mean, really depending on the size, if, uh, if the size of the project warrants it, then yeah, I'd do the whole storyboard, animatic, you know, full full production pipeline thing. Um, if it's just little things then usually I just dive in because uh, I, I, I usually work with people. Um, if it's little things, it's probably, it's usually people that I know already and I kind of know what they're expecting and what they want so I can dive in quickly, but for bigger things. Yeah. I mean, script first, then storyboard. Um, I am probably the world's worst storyboard artist. <laughs> um, and yet everybody seems to accept it without any trouble. So that's pretty funny. Um, but other than that, Yeah, from there on, animatic. So some of the animation is already done. It's very rough, blocking out of the shots, so clients get an idea of what the final result is going to look like. And then from there on, uh, I lock everything down that I can lock down, and that's when the rendering starts. Where I give them a couple of um, just stills with what the final look is going to be like. And then once they get okay on those, I render and comp everything and, uh, and do final delivery. So. but it's it's hard though because I mean anybody that's creative has sent stuff something like a rough draft or uh, in my case something like an animatic, and then the clients are like, yeah, I mean it, it looks cool, but it's all pretty gray right now. <laughs> you know? And then you're <laughs> like, yeah, I tried to explain this to you guys that the colors will come, but now it's just now we're just getting a feel for the film, you know, for the tempo for the rhythm, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean you. You do know it's really gray, right? I don't know if it's a problem on it. Yes, I know it's gray. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I think with 3D, uh, and not, obviously not only 3D, but with a lot of the uh, more creative-minded jobs, it's still very hard to explain to clients like the amount of work that actually goes in and why you lock certain things down so that they can't change it. And then you, know, you have to change the entire animation from the ground up. Um, but yeah, still, I mean, funny situations, I'm sure we, we can all relate, uh, in some way to, to similar (laughs) moments where, um, I remember this one client, we made a project, uh, yeah, we made the entire project. It was finished. We finished like two days in advance. And, um, so I sent the final, final product and they were super happy and they're like, yeah, just one thing, the, um, the color of the product is wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean the color of the product is wrong? Yeah, it's a it's a different. You know, it looks completely different um, than the colors you guys used." I'm like, well, you gave us like a physical product, and we kind of modeled it off that. And I mean, we've been sending you guys previews for weeks, so nobody kind of stopped to think, "Hey, maybe something's up." and They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we gave you a prototype, so the colors weren't final yet." <laughs> uh, oh, oh, you could have maybe mentioned that. And uh, unfortunately there wasn't time to finish it and they, they weren't you know, too mad about it because um, I was able to explain to them why I had sent all these things and asked them for all these okays and, and locks. <laughs> but, um, interesting situation nonetheless.
1: We find uh, in doing web design stuff uh, very, very similar um, types of situations. Like we, we often do these uh, what we call wireframes, which would be sort of mm-hmm. along the lo- the same lines of um, an animatic or a um, you know, essentially an early rendering of this is what we think, this is how we think we're going to lay your website out, this is where we think all the pages are going to land, what a page kind of looks like, and um, we often find the same thing: like it's the the people that you're working with are not in. They they may be creative, but they're creative in different ways. They're not creative necessarily in a visual way. And so when you present them with something that's very black and white, or maybe it looks like an architectural diagram even, um, they, they just have trouble filling in the details until they sort of see the final thing. And then they realize, oh, they have these very specific comments about the final thing, and there might not be enough time then at that point to get the right feedback back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how, um, for me as well, I find it really interesting that every time you start a new project, you take all of that feedback that you ever got, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be smarter this time.
1: (laughs) I'm seeing a pattern here.
2: They usually ask about this. They usually ask about this. So I'm going to make sure all of this is sorted so I can give them something that they might understand. And as usual, you send it, and then the comments you get, you're just mind blown. Like, you're baffled. Like, how... Why do these people keep coming up with all these crazy comments? You know? <laughs> <laughs> do they sit down and go, "Okay, I got to find something to say about this." But I don't really know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know? And then they just right. start tearing it sure. apart anyway. Sure.
0: Um, right, like the like the sort of the thought process like, "Oh, if I'm project managing this, then I mm-hmm. have to act yeah. like I'm project managing this." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Move that over three three or four uh, inches. Thanks, bye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Centimeters, sorry. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're totally right. Like, you just made me, like, just go nostalgic again. Like, wow, yeah, that used to happen so many times. Like, I got it this time and be in a meeting with a client and then, they would just say something. And I was like, no, I was prepared for these things. Now I'm just like,
2: ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crap. Give me a minute. Give me a minute.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Clients be like, yes. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, it was funny that you went right into that because I was like, as soon as you said animatic, I was like, I see people talk about those all the time, but like, I can't imagine anyone like using them because anytime I try to show someone like a storyboard, they're like, I don't understand this. Like just make the video.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's it. And like, you know, they're not trying to be rude, but it's the, just, just make it. And then we'll figure it out. It's like, yeah, but you know, it's <laughs> so much time. Right. There's right. only so little time to make it and I can't change things, you know? Yeah. Oh, well,
0: Right, I mean that's one of the things that uh is really interesting about three d is that you can do everything up to a point, but then it just comes to rendering like how like if you were to do uh you know a thirty second uh spot or you know uh something like that, like how long would that take to render? I guess it depends on what's in
2: the image, huh yeah, it really depends um like if it's motion graphics type stuff that gets rendered pretty quickly um, because it's usually only a few objects uh, in kind of an open space or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's fairly quickly. But when you're talking about architectural stuff, I mean, it's a scene with millions and millions of polygons, trees, grass, buildings everywhere. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think one of the longer animations I did was around the two minute mark. And um, I mean, my company, it's, it's mainly me and, uh, just a few other people here and there. Um, but it's mainly just me in my home office. So I have six, no, yeah, six computers here. (laughs) So with six computers, it took me about a month to render out everything for two minutes in in like full HD, but these are renders that take, I don't know, like up to an hour per frame on the really, really high uh, side of things. Sure. Yep. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, it keeps things... It's funny because at one point you're just like, all right, and now it's time to submit all the all the different scenes and just kind of wait. And every time, like every day, one or two shots maybe finish rendering and you check it, you throw it in After Effects, you comp it, and you really want to get into it, but you comp it in like half an hour because, you know, you've got the whole workflow already set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every day it's just like very incrementally finishing it, finishing it, and then after two weeks sending the shots that are done and then, It's, it's an interesting process and it's funny because I became a patient person after becoming a 3d artist. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds weird, but I used to do stuff in Photoshop and you could knock something out in 20 minutes, half an hour and you're done, right? There's no rendering. There's no bullshit. It's like, here's your design. See you later. Um, and in 3d it's like, you know, you got to model it, you got to texture it, you got to shade it, you got to light it, you got to render it. Then you got to bring it into compositing, got to composite it, render it again <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is even more frustrating because you're like, how can 2D take this long? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I actually became a more patient person because of it.
0: That's really cool. Like that's uh you should actually uh package that up into like a class to sell people. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna make a snowman. This is your 3D project, and what it's really gonna do is teach you patience. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. You're going to be looking at these little squares moving across your screen for the next half an hour. Have fun.
0: <laughs> your challenge is while it's rendering to not look
2: at your phone. Yeah. <laughs> or, or to um, actually try and finish watching a YouTube video because your entire computer is so locked up that by the time you've loaded YouTube, you're like five minutes. You've taken like five minutes out of your day. It gets pretty bad. Oh yeah, that's one of
0: those things. Like, I think because because um, when Paul and I started doing video, we were still using tape, <laughs> magnetic mm-hmm. tape, right? Crap. So, so yeah, like uh, when it came to uh, there were many DV tapes, but still, when it came to like doing the final render on some of the videos that you added and stuff like that, like I never did anything else with the computer you know, it was just like, you got to walk away. Like if you open a browser, like you're going to mess mm-hmm. up one frame or something like that. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to drop one frame and you can do the whole thing again. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's funny, like how much computers have progressed because I started at that time. So now, even now when I'm like rendering something, I'm like, no, I'm not even going to check my email. Just walk away or use my phone.
1: sure sure and before before that i was even in the um the even older school vhs a to b um rolling kind of things where if you wanted to add in titles or effects or anything like that um you basically just had to get really good with the controls and do them all in real time so you would you know Queue up your tapes, get ready to roll them. Every single time you had to add another effect on, you would lose a generation of loss. So you had like, you know, maybe two copies of each tape before mm-hmm. it started to look like just mud that you were copying yeah. from one tape to the next. Um, and that, you know, that's also a thing where you, it, ha- it teaches you patience by nature because um, everything that you do, Takes the exact amount of time that it's gonna be to live on the screen. You can't just quickly jump through your Final Cut bin of footage and decide where to make your cuts and slap some slap a five minute video together in thirty seconds. Um, you have you actually have to sit through all of your footage and copy it over in real time. <laughs> you just learn to you learn to think critically about. What you're even gonna shoot? Uh, what work you're gonna do up front? Because you don't want to slog through an hour of footage to make a five minute video, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's—I'm sure it's the same thing when you get into 3D rendering. Um, the reason I'm doing these animatics and the reason that I'm that I'm mm-hmm. that I'm giving you all all this preview stuff is because I can't take a month to render out two minutes so that I can make you a 30 second spot. I want to render like 34 seconds of footage.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's like, and then I've tried it before as well, where I render it very quickly. So it's incredibly noisy. Oh, sure. And then, yeah. and then you can finally you can give them something that looks a little bit more like a, a finished product. And then the clients start freaking out because they think the end product is going to look like crap. Right. Right. So, yeah. cause they don't understand either. So you're like, you know, that thing like the uncanny Valley, where if something gets too close to reality, it gets creepy. Yep. yep. A similar kind of curve can be applied to what you send clients. If it's too finished, they start worrying about the about the the end product. Right. So you have to give right. them really rough stuff so they they still kind of keep that open in their mind. Right. And hope right. that they understand that.
1: It has to be it has to be low fidelity enough that they know it's not final, but yeah, it has to be sense. high fidelity enough that uh, they can still see. Yeah. They can still see what it's going to be. Yeah. And it, it is a tricky. Uh,
2: What I found, though, is, like, the cheapest trick to to pull to make sure that they understand it's a preview is literally just watermark the word preview and a time code into it. Sure. Yeah. It sounds horrible, but, you know, it's like at least if it's in big, bold letters across the screen, hopefully somebody might read that word.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, it's,
0: it's interesting that you mentioned that, Paul, like that you know even even the days of film right like you only had so many uh feet of film to shoot so you had a budget you have to right. stick with it and right you have to yeah. plan very smartly and today um I mean you know when we were in school it was always like the professors saying like don't you know stop with this whole like we'll just fix it in post thought like get your shit together <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and do it right the first time. And, uh, and uh, like, but now like we have these hard drives that we're recording to, So we've gotten rid of some of these limits. Like I was just, uh, the wife and I finally watched the latest, uh, Mad Max Fury Road movie. And I was just sort of reading up on it after we watched it. And it, it was like the editor who was his wife. Um, she had something like 358 hours or something of film to cut
1: <laughs> it's, it's like a 150 to 1 shooting ratio
0: <laughs> yeah I was like that is ridiculous like that's crazy um, oh peaking so yes you, you have your own uh, personal render farm in the room you're in now
1: Did we lose him? Let me see. Hang on a second. Boop, boop, be-doop. He still shows up on here. Oh, he says, be right back doorbell.
0: Ah, (laughs) ding dong. Now is the part of the show. (laughs) Beige
1: (laughs) socks. Very boring. You got to (laughs) try this also boring Kia. Sorry, Super Bowl commercial reference. We, Doesn't make uh, sense to any of our European listeners, I'm sure.
0: I, I would really like uh, if Midge was like, you know, if it, even if it was a salesperson at the door, if he was just like, "Nope, you've got to come on the show."
1: <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> when when did you get into uh, delivering packages? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ah nice. Oh, okay. There we go. So yeah. I did not watch the Super Bowl. Oh
1: no. No. Yeah. You didn't miss much.
2: Now I, 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 I the wasn't commercials. even, I wasn't even really
1: yeah, inspired by the commercials, but it's one of those things now where you can just watch the commercials. Uh you just watch the commercials whenever on YouTube anyway right right leading leading all the way up to the game you can have seen all the commercials already so i'm not sure yeah. why we need to air them during the game at that point
2: but because then they can ask so much money for them yes
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> right hilariously everybody's already seen this thing that you've spent millions of dollars on for a 30 second spot and you posted it for free on youtube
2: it's odd. I The thing is, as a European, looking, I guess, from the outside in at stuff like the Super Bowl and the commercials and the hype surrounding it, it's really it's interesting. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's odd that uh, in this day and age where commercials are everywhere, like the Super Bowl can still convince all these big companies to pay millions and millions, just oh, like yes. you said, to have yeah. like a 30 second clip. It's insane. It's It's
1: crazy. I I was just going to ask, is there, does the world cup or is there some other sport that commands any kind of comparable presence or is it really like the super bowl in America is the ultimate like example of this. And there really isn't a, an an equivalent when you move out of the United States.
2: Um, well I'm not a, I'll admit I'm not a huge sports guy, but (laughs) the world cup is definitely a pretty big event. Yeah. But I think like, just on the sheer scale of it and everything surrounding it, I think the, the Super Bowl might be an even bigger hype. Although, yeah, I mean, obviously when the World Cup here in Belgium, um, if we get to play, then yeah, it's all over the place. Like it's products everywhere, World Cup products all over the place. So I guess <laughs> it could be definitely comparable. But um, sure, I think the Super Bowl is... I guess it's an icon of that kind of stuff. Even for me as a European, I'll admit, though, I'm very influenced by American culture um, Mm. and always have been since I was a kid watching, you know, growing up, watching Hollywood movies and stuff like that. Um, It's pretty like it's pretty huge. And I've never been to the States uh, during a Super Bowl. So (laughs) I can't really imagine what the, the craziness must be like, especially for the two teams, you know involved in the final the the states must be the two states because it is between the states themselves isn't it it's
1: between uh it's between cities essentially oh, between cities okay. yeah yeah so uh so a team will be from a city some states have more than one um city that have a team so sometimes you get examples like uh what's what is it um Pittsburgh and Philly Right. Both Mm -hmm. have both have NFL teams. Um, But uh, anyway, and usually they play for different leagues. So sometimes they can play each other in the playoffs. But that kind of fairly rarely happens. Um, But, yeah, the Super Bowl is weird in that sense anyway, because typically the two teams that are playing, are n- neither of them is from the city where they actually play the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl itself is sort of like the Olympics where a city in the United States hosts it every year. Okay, cool. And then those teams fly to that city. So it's kind of like three different cities are probably going nuts, two of mm-hmm. them who are just watching, and one of them that's actually hosting the Super Bowl. Yeah. Cool.
0: I think, like, um, I mean, as far as commercials, though, like – Is it similar in Belgium as it is like, uh, like, uh, in Britain where you pay for like a TV license. So there's not a ton of commercials. Like when you watch the, uh, Um, we
2: also have like state sponsored channels, but I have to admit, I have not had a cable TV connection for the last (laughs) seven years or so, maybe even longer, seven or eight years. So I honestly don't watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) what I was going to say. A lot of of YouTube and a lot of movies and and TV shows like Netflix Mm -hmm. stuff. So Sure. Um, But yeah, but even then, they're really struggling to keep up. Um, So even they're showing ads every now and again. But, um, mm-hmm. even in like in the UK as well, you've got the BBC, which is really well known. Um, but then you've got like channel four and ITV and all the other channels, which are all commercial channels. So they're a spam fest just as much uh, as, <laughs> as any other commercial television channel, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. The amount of, uh, American TV is so, uh, deep even here across the border in Canada that, um, like the basically the Canadian broadcast, uh, you know, whatever part of the arm of the government it's called, I'm a terrible person for not knowing, but they actually have like laws regulating that. Like you can only have so much like American content on your channel or, you know, it has to not American content, but your channel has to contain so much Canadian content. It's really interesting. Um, but then, yeah, because of all of that, like, um, as you were saying, it's really fascinating being there watching like the Super Bowl stuff go crazy over here in the States. It's really fascinating to me to be here the first couple of years and like just see like the amount of people like freaking out about it in Canada. <laughs> 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 because they have so much American media. It was just really interesting. Cause here they also would like to call themselves uh big football people and um so they have what they call the gray cup every year mm. and uh and so that's the big event in Canada but it pales in comparison of uh, when it comes to the coverage of the Super Bowl even in Canada <laughs> like it's pretty crazy uh but i guess that's what you get when your neighbors or something um And like you said, like American culture is just everywhere. So
2: no. Yeah. I mean, especially through the internet nowadays, but, um, but it's funny because I even have like, I have a few American colleagues and they were discussing it the other day and, uh, they were discussing the ads and not the, not the game. And at one point I was like, so why are you guys not talking about the game? And they were like, ah, oh, it wasn't that great, apparently. And that was it. Like, that was all that was said about the Super Bowl <laughs> itself. But did you see the ad with the wiener dogs? I was like, it was pretty hilarious.
1: I like that they weren't even making a personal commentary about the game. They were just saying, apparently. It wasn't yeah, that right, good, it was apparently. boring. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. true. I mean, the game itself was not that great. But I, I think that's... Honestly, I think at least the tenor of the last five to ten years of watching the Super Bowl has been everybody watches it for the commercials now rather than than the game itself. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who are football fans that watch it for the game, obviously. But it's sort of one of the – I guess there really aren't nearly as many because we have – most people, I think most people in the United States, uh, have cable if they really are kind of into media. And there's so many cable stations that we no longer have this, like, everybody was watching The Tonight Show last night. Everybody was unified, watching. Yeah, yeah there's audience. so few shared uh, media experiences these days, um, unless you go onto social media. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it just moved. It just moved onto social media, and now we all just get, congregate around hashtags instead of Johnny Carson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're all, we're all like obsessed with Dramatic Chipmunk. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yep, that's hard. To be fair, though, he's a legend. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. So, uh, so yeah, you you were talking about your personal render farm, that that's the hot room, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's not on at the moment, so that's why you guys can actually hear me. Um <laughs> But yes, it does get nice and warm. Um But uh yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I guess when I talk to a lot of people, um, I only know one other person that's crazy enough to fill their house up with computers. Um, <laughs> so, some people are like when they walk into my my office, they like they see all the computers everywhere and like these three giant screens and you know all this stuff all over the place. And they're just like, "What do you do with all this stuff? Like, why do you need this many computers?" And it's it's funny because. For me, it's the most normal thing. Like I'm I'm not only a 3D artist, but I'm kind of a hardware guy as well. So sure. there's always some kind of project in the works. Or, <laughs>
1: and
2: when you know, when these people walk in, they've never even seen the inside of a computer. And here there's this guy with parts all over his desk and like computers going everywhere. And they're like, What what do you even what what do you even do in your free time, dude? This <laughs> <laughs> kind of mad scientist feeling, I guess.
0: Have you, uh, have you ever like had a project with a big enough budget to like rent render time from some uh, farm?
2: Um, actually no. I remember I worked at a studio once where we had to rent it, um, because it was kind of, yeah, the, the studio, the render farm there was having a rough time getting through it. Um, honestly, it is so incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. and we have this beautiful thing here in Belgium where our ISPs, they suck. It's really that simple. Um, So I have a fairly expensive connection. So I get like, uh, what is it? 500 gigabytes of bandwidth a month. Okay. If I'm downloading during like business hours and stuff from 12 to 12, like from midnight to 12 the next day, it's unlimited. But other than that, I have 500 gigs. And the thing that I always found with Render Farms is sure, it renders it super fast. But if I'm downloading 100 gigabytes of data, it's gonna take so long to download that it's almost (laughs) not worth uploading everything in the first place, which also takes forever, and being in Belgium. To give you an idea, I have a 200 megabit download speed, but I only have a 10 megabit upload speed. Okay, sure. So if I have to upload like a, a five gigabyte scene file with textures and everything included, that's half my day gone. Sure. So I, I lose so much time and it's unfortunate because I would love to use that kind of stuff and I can't wait until the internet becomes, you know, as fast as a, I guess, a gigabit LAN connection where you could almost work online right. in the cloud. Yeah. That would be amazing. But it's, it's not happening anytime soon still, I think, which is unfortunate. So.
1: Even if you had that same 200 megabits down, if you had that same amount up, it would be so much more practical. But oh, geez. Yeah. at
2: 10, it's like, eh. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, a 200 down, 10 up, come on, what kind of ratio is that anyway? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the thing is, for me, it's like bandwidth is bandwidth. If you're able to give me the 200 down, can't you just say, here's 200, do with it as you please? Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a problem with ISPs all over the place, though. In, In the States, it's very touch and go depending on where you live as well, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in a major city, or close to a major city, you probably have, uh, more options in terms of things like, you know, fiber and, um, versus cable versus DSL. Uh, but if you live out in the country, in our beautiful, spacious United States of America, (laughs) um, the, (laughs) the, the price that you pay for having all of that land around you is that it, nobody wants to run wires to you. So, uh, you get very slow um, internet that you either have to do like wirelessly through a satellite dish or now oh, they have cool. these like crazy microwave systems that still give you, you know, it feels fast because you can watch Netflix now, but you really only have ten megabits mm-hmm. of connection. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm that I live in an area that's just now getting hooked up with fiber. so I'm gonna go from a 100 megabit um, cable. And it's the same thing. I get a hundred megabits down, but I get like three up. Um, And then uh, I'm going to move from that to a uh, gigabit connection where they're going to give me a gigabit down and like a hundred up, which yeah, that's, that's a much more acceptable ratio and it will be super, super speedy. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the only thing, like I said, I've never understood why they don't just give you bandwidth. Like what's, why limit the upload?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, they have the...
1: It seems very, it seems really strange because the only thing I can think is that the reason that it has to be limited going up is because um, your modem itself is receiving connections that are are being blasted to it by probably a much larger, much more powerful thing Mm -hmm. on the other end, whereas it has to push a connection back up The line, and it probably can't only has so much power that it can use to do that. Yeah, that might be it. That's my that's my total (laughs) guess based on nothing uh, except watching a lot of Star Trek. So,
2: (laughs) or they don't want people running uh, full web servers on residential lines. Well,
1: that's certainly part of it. (laughs) That's certainly part of it. They're 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 looking at me like, "Uh, "Aren't you trying to start a podcast network? Maybe we shouldn't let you just." run-of-the-mill put whatever you want on the internet all the time
2: yeah it's weird
0: so uh so then i mean i know how i had my last job i'm not sure if i know how paul uh paul got uh where he is today i don't know if i ever heard that story but then (laughs) I, I do know that Midge just one day was walking down the street and the International Academy of Film and Television just grabbed him and said, you, you, you need a job, here, take this.
2: Well, yeah, kind of, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, they were just starting, and I, I walked in and I showed my face there a couple of times. And then at one point, I started there um, as a, a lab guy, so I just set up their computers because they didn't have any, that anybody knew anything about it, and it was still a very, very small school at that point. And, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. And then after a couple of months, it turned into me kind of coordinating everything. Um, and now like they gave me my own program and stuff. So now it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's, it's been pretty cool working with them. It's a, it's an interesting school. They really try to do things differently, which I like, um, they're more about just being, just putting people in front of the, like giving them the gear to do stuff and then practically like just pushing them to do it. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's been an odd evolution for me. Um, I, I taught a lot before already in the last few years and and I always enjoyed it, but now being on the more administrative side, it's interesting to see how a school runs from the inside. So,
0: yeah, I've been walking every day and no one has given me a job yet, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I've lost weight, so I can't complain. Sure. Ah, there you
2: go. I've gained weight, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all those apples the students bring you. Um, so yeah, first it was like IT and then you were teaching video classes. Right. And then you're like, guys, I gotta go. Like, I need to concentrate on my uh, business.
2: And they were yeah. like, what well, I was, we yeah, I was coordinating. Back? I wasn't teaching Becky back then yet. I was coordinating everything, ah. but Yeah, but it was all film and acting. And I mean, I will be the first person to admit that I know absolutely nothing about acting. Um, <laughs> and I learned a lot, definitely. And I mean, I know quite a bit about film, so coordinating it wasn't, wasn't too hard. But yeah, when it starts taking over most of your, your week, um, you know, you get that itch in the back of your brain that goes, hello, I need scratching, 3D, hello, hello. And, uh, and I said, sorry, I'm, I gotta, you know, focus a little bit more on, on 3D again. And, um, yeah, after a while, I mean, they, I, I have good relations with the people that work there. And, uh, after a while, uh, one of them said, look, we really want you back. Um, if we give you, if we give you your own, uh, 3d department, are you willing to do it? And I was like, sure, I'm down. I mean, that's not an offer I'm going to get quickly. So uh, I'll take it. <laughs> And I'm still the IT guy, so that's fun too, you know.
0: (laughs) Everybody pick up your books. We're going into the server room to fix
2: something. (laughs) Almost. They need a little bit more experience and then I'll I'll teach them about it. (laughs) (laughs) What,
0: What is it that you like about teaching?
2: Um This can sound really cheesy, but and trying to inspire people and like um, remember when you know you're learning and you're a student or whatever you're learning in your discipline and you're looking at all these amazing uh, professionals in you know in your discipline so. I used to watch stuff like um, the third and the seventh uh, a clip that was made by Alex Roman, a great 3D artist, and then people like G-Monk and Ash Thorpe, like all these great designers and, and motion graphics artists. And I always remember getting really discouraged. Like, you know, you have that moment where you're like, I'm never going to be this good. What am I doing anyway? Like, who do I think I am trying to compete with people like this? And um, I try to hold on to stuff like that, that I remember from being a student and kind of surprise them by being able to say, this is how you feel. Right. And then you can see them looking at you going, uh, yeah. How do you know? I'm like, dude, I used to feel the same way, but it's, it's not worth it. You know, just be inspired. Don't be, don't be held back by great work. It doesn't make sense. And all those kind of little things that you can make people's day by just telling them, don't worry, I know it's hard, but I'm here to help you through it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, uh, I recently was talking to someone else, uh, for the website interviews and they were like, um, they, they said, you know, it's really like it's there's like no better feeling than when um, you see someone get it. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. so true. It's so true.
2: Yeah. I had that a couple of weeks ago when my students came back after the break and uh, they were showing me some of the stuff they did. And like it, my mind was just blown. Like all of a sudden, all of them seemed to have gotten it. And like they were making super cool things. And i was like, wow, that's. It's amazing. You know, I I, three months and they're here already. For me, it's it's insane to see how quickly people can learn if they have the right, you know, the right people teaching them.
0: I love too. like last time we talked, like I said, so what are you teaching everyone? Like just Blender because it's free. And uh, you were like, no, I'm teaching them like how to do things. And then we do it in Blender and we do it in 3D Studio Max. I like that you're like showing them the process versus like these are the buttons you click.
2: Mm-hmm. There's too much of that going on, like on the Internet already with tutorials. People make tutorials and they're like, uh, and then you just put these values here and then it works. <laughs> you're like, well, no. <laughs> I have I to know why
1: open... that value is what it is. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I mean, not everybody's like that. I, I'm a I'm a very why guy, but um, still, like, it doesn't make sense because I, I try to tell them as well. If you go work for a studio for a couple of years and then you switch up or you go work for a different studio, chances are they're not using the same 3D application. So you have to be open to that. And I think the quicker you can expose people learning 3D to that, Um, the quicker they can make a choice for themselves as well to know, Oh, I really like the workflow for this particular thing and that application, or I really like, um, doing animation in another application. And it's great because like you said as well, you see them understanding the process and not just the interface. And that's, for me, that's the most important thing. Um, because yeah, I mean, if you have to switch a polygon, still a polygon, it doesn't matter which program it is. Um, Mm-hmm. And a lot of the tools are actually very similar; they've just got a different name or a different button or you know they're hidden or they're they're in somewhere else in the interface and that's it and it's interesting to see what students gravitate as well what what they gravitate towards as well um when it comes to applications and what they do and how they do things when you kind of give them i guess their own choice and uh and show them like the different ways of doing the same thing but it's I mean, for me, it's interesting because at the same time, it's kind of an experiment. Um, I think if somebody told me when I was learning 3D, okay, we're going to teach you these two applications at the same time, I'd be like, uh, why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the point? Why well, make it harder for, for myself? But I think when they came back, what I was saying earlier, when they came back after the break and they all like seemed to get it, I think that was for me, the moment that proved to me that my way of doing things worked for the people that were in the school at that point. So.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, in the interview before you had said too, like, um, it's another great idea is just because, you know, there's all these resources out there for free that, uh, you can use and still make some money to then buy these very, 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 very expensive applications to do mm-hmm. 3d. <laughs>
2: yeah exactly
0: like so if you know the process you know what you need to do you can do it in any application that's in your budget Mm -hmm. exactly i think that's really important especially when the price of so many of these uh, software suites is so
2: crazy high it's like nobody in their right mind on their own starting out can pay for this stuff (laughs) and the computer
0: to run it right that's See, that's the thing as well, yeah. I keep laughing about the Oculus because everyone's like, oh, it's going to be so cool, I'm going to get one. And it's only like, what, $500 or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but then you need like a, at least a $1,000 machine to run it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everybody's running around with iPads going, I don't need a laptop or a computer anymore. And now all <laughs> right. of a sudden you have to spend
2: $1,000. My My MacBook Air lasts almost 12 hours, you know. Right. (laughs) It creaks when you open it, but
1: it lasts a long time. Battery life is amazing.